for our scripture reading this morning, let's turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 speaks here of a few of testing of our faith and so forth. And then we get to the latter part in our everyday language. Does it go in one ear and out the other? Or do we obtain, uh, do we do what we hear from the word? James, beginning at chapter, uh, verse one, uh, chapter one, beginning of verse one, I'll read the entire chapter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispensation, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its, perfect, have its full effect, that ye may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed in the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of all his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he shall be blessed for his doing. If anyone thinks he is righteous and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Thank you for that reading, Brother James. Um, this morning, we are beginning a, a nine-sermon set in the, um, in the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Um, again, I kind of did a, a little bit of a flyover of the first couple chapters, and as we considered chapter 3, um, it seemed that there was um, a lot of things to mind for in that passage, uh, to look at up close and to consider for us um, the truths that are here. And so this morning, we want to look at verse 1 and consider what it means to shape our desires. What does it mean to seek the things that are above? And so I'll read at this time, I'll read uh, Colossians 3, and I'll read verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. The 16th century philosopher Thomas Hobbes says that human desire is the fundamental motivation of all human action. And this is a man four or five hundred years ago before the understanding of humanity that we think we have now. But even he says that there's something innate about the desires of humanity that brings about action. Our world today is even more in tune or more seeking after this idea that desires create who we are. And so I've been to numerous um, sort of 
coaching events in the business world, and one of the key themes now today is, what is your why? Why do you want to do what you're doing? Why do you wake up in the morning? Have you figured out why you want to be in this occupation? And if you figure out your why, then you can be more successful. You can live out of that. Well, our text says something fairly similarly. Seek the things that are above. Seek after the things that are above. The desire that should drive humanity, the drive that should drive Christians especially, is to seek the things that are above. And so if I was to distill everything I wanted to say into kind of one sentence, I would say that seeking the things above means we identify our nature as a child of God, we pursue godly desires, and we strive to live out those desires. Three things. We identify our nature as a child of God, we pursue godly desires, and we strive against our earthly desires. And so first, to understand our desires, to understand our seeking, our text tells us that we must remember that we have been raised with Christ. The first word is, if then. And as if he's saying, therefore, since the truth of your salvation is the truth, now take this course of action. Here again, we're faced with the good news of the gospel. If you have been raised with Christ, if you have repented before God of your inability to please Him, if you have acknowledged your absolute dependence on Christ in His death for the forgiveness of your sins, in His perfect life for your righteousness, then you as a Christian are raised with Christ to the heavens. And if you're here today and, and you have not turned to Christ, the call of the gospel is for you today. Repent and believe. Because as we consider what it takes to reshape our desires, that process only happens to those who are redeemed. And so if you have been raised with Christ here today, let's lift our heads out of the, the mud of our earthly existence and let's place them in the heavenlies where Christ is seated. And so right desire is a conscious effort to shape our desires towards the character of heaven and we do this in, I think, two specific ways. We seek to understand our desires. We seek to understand ourselves. And we also seek to understand what God's way is. And we seek to bring those in alignment with each other. And then secondly, we strive. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us instructions about this seeking. Uh, and I'll begin at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? 
or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And so in this passage, Jesus is saying that there's a certain way to understand the world that says, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? And he says, that's not the way we seek the kingdom of God. In verse 33, he says, we seek first the kingdom of God. You see, what, sh- what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? These are indications of what can be considered earthly desire. At our nature, we are driven by a desire to survive. And to survive, we need these basic necessities, clothing, food, etc. You could make a nice long list. And we have to acknowledge that as members of a modern society, Uh, that list of desires for survival is significantly longer than food and clothing. It probably includes transportation, housing, status, fashionable clothing, and not merely food, but good food. So how is it that we consider uh, these desires? First, I would think of an infant their whole world is bound up in what to eat and how to be comfortable. I think we could distill it down to those two things. And when that desire is not met, um, you're going to find some sort of crying because there's a perceived lack of food and a perceived lack of comfort. And for the first couple months, uh, those two needs are in the scope of things, relatively easy to meet. But you get on about six months down the road, and those desires to eat and to be comfortable begin to be shaped by tastes. You see, now it's it's this jar of baby food and that one and this color cup and that color clothing, and we begin to we begin to desire more than just the bare necessities. And while very basic, these are the desires of humanity. These are our natural desires. They're simply a part of who we are as sons of Adam. As we consider these desires shaping as we grow older, they, they show themselves normally in, in the sons of Adam to be born of our selfish desires. I want what I want because I want to be significant on my own. I want what I want because I want to be significant. Now, we don't normally see them in, in this clear view. How often do we understand our actions that clearly? But every time we find ourselves angry or out of sorts or 
upset at the first person in front of me who cannot seem to drive properly. We're really fulfilling a desire that I have for my own comfort to say that I'm better at driving a vehicle than the person in front of me. The desire that we find is that for our own significance, that of our own self-importance. Consider the first two major sins that the Bible records. Eve desired to be equal with God. And Satan lured her into eating the fruit because he promised her equality with God, and that was something she desired. Cain, her son, desired his own significance. And when his brother Abel showed him up, he killed him. And so we must recognize that when we allow ourselves to seek after these selfish desires, we can be sure that they will lead us astray. As I said earlier, at their core, these desires are the desire to be equal with God. The desire to be significant in our own right. The Apostle Paul had men like that around him. In Philippians 2, uh, he speaks of them. He says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul had some men around him who, who wanted to be with him because he was the Apostle Paul. He was significant. And their goal in being around him was not that the cause of Christ was advanced, not that the cause of Christ was brought to bear, but the desire was that I would be seen with Paul. And I think if we each consider ourselves, we, we find that in us. I want to speak to this person because if he hears me, and that's going to give me some significance. Our everyday life is where these desires are borne out, where we find in our practice what we're actually seeking. Um, the psychologist Carl Jung says, he whose desire turns away from the outer things reaches the place of the soul. He whose desires turn away from the outer things reaches the place of the soul. And so it's, it's not good enough, as he's indicating, it's not good enough for us to to merely look at what our actions are, we do need to spend some time looking at what are the core desires that drive us. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And so we recognize that if we, if we merely look at our behaviors, if we merely look at what we're doing, we may not understand because our heart is deceitful. And so the solution to knowing and understanding the desires of our heart 
is to spend time carefully seeking to understand our desires in the light of the Word of God, in the light of the presence of His Spirit. We seek the things of Christ. We seek for an understanding that is separated from just our outer action. And so why did I get angry? And why did that anger turn to rage? That's the action that we consider, but often it is an unmet desire of my own heart that causes me to say, I want things my way, and to become aggressive about those. By seeking to understand the desires within, we can then begin to shape them by the desires of heaven. Uh, there's an artist who uh, painted a set of pictures, and I'm, I'm forgetting his name, and that's terrible. But, but the one picture is of a man in a suit, and he's got a green apple right in front of his face. And he sees the world through this apple that's right here. The second page, and that was called uh, the Son of Man or something like that. The second illustration is a room. And the room is completely full of the apple. And it's the very same apple that was in front of the man's face. And the title of that painting was called The Listening Room. And I think what he's intending to instruct us is we all walk around with our desires, with what's driving us, and they inform everything we see and everything we do. But there is the room where we go and we seek to know and understand what that apple is. And we seek to understand the desires that shape and drive us. And we seek then, as Christians, to understand God's will and way and the way that He would have us change them. Jesus is our example. Philippians 2 speaks of Him when it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our Lord demonstrated the way to defeat our earthly desires. First, he submitted them to the lordship of the Father. Of any human, he is one who could have grasped significance, but he did not count himself equal with God. And so we as well submit our desires and our understandings to God, and we walk in obedience. We referred to Matthew 6, and that gives similar language to Colossians to address our struggle Matthew says, seek first the kingdom of God. Colossians says, seek the things that are above. The indication is that the solution to fighting against 
the desires that bring us down is to seek to know the kingdom of God. In Matthew 7, which follows the statement to seek first the kingdom of God, gives us specific ways in which we should do that. It says to judge not lest you be judged. And so our desire is that I'm the final judge. I'm the one who gets to say what's what. And Jesus says, no, that's not your place. He says to consider your own self before you criticize others. See the tree that is coming from you before you pull a speck out of someone else's eyes. And the reality is, is if we're seeking for our own renown, we often are harsh with others and kind to ourselves. And Jesus says, shape that differently. He instructs us to ask for wisdom, to seek a wisdom that is not our own. In our flesh, we long to be the wise one. He says to enter by the narrow gate, the gate that is hard, the path that causes, calls for sacrifice. If we're honest with our desires, we'd rather have the easy road. If Matthew 7 says anything to us, it says that to put on the nature of the heavenlies, we will need to strive against our nature. That to walk the narrow way is one of striving. But the promise is that this striving will bring forth fruit. Philippians 4, uh, 4.17 says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. In this verse, the Apostle Paul had received some money from the Thessalonians, and as, as grateful it was for the support, he was even more grateful that their godly desires had brought about action. And so as we seek to change our desires into the way of heaven, we begin to see the fruit of that shaping. But the word seek here, it does indicate desire. It does indicate a shaping of our desires. But this word seek has another indication as well. And that is one of striving. The one of putting forth significant effort towards something. The New Testament is full of, of the idea that Christians, we don't sit back and, and rest and do nothing because Christ has done everything. We recognize that He has fully redeemed us. But that, that position informs our striving. The nature of the Christian is one who strives toward bringing the kingdom to the present. And so here's some examples. Matthew 7, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, find. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. The kingdom of God comes to those who chase after it in real ways. Luke 13, 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. 
The striving is to be intentional towards the path Christ has laid out. Romans 2 verse 7, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor in immortality, he will give eternal life. 1 Peter 3, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. That passage especially is filled with imperatives. Keep his tongue from evil. Turn away. Do good. Seek. Strive. These texts and and Colossians 3 are clear. If we are in Christ, if we are risen with him, we are to seek with bold and persistent striving the kingdom of God. Now, I think we're familiar with this in our everyday life. One does not set out to do something and expect it to take place by its own. And so if we have, again, particular desires, um, rather normal desires to have good food or to have uh, certain things, they don't just come to us. We, have, we normally have to strive in a way towards them. And so it is the same in the Christian life. If we are pursuing, if we have been raised to the heavenlies, we are to seek, to strive with direct energy. Jesus says, in, in what is the, the second of his two great commandments. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This, this idea is not something we do passively. We don't passively love God. We don't passively go about understanding him. It says we do them with all our strength with the full application of our mind. In other words, hitch your life up to the yoke that Christ provides and strive. Put your shoulders down and pursue righteousness. Strive against the sinful desires that each of us possess. Strive to understand the ways of God. Strive to do good to those around. And in the end, strive to bring the kingdom of God to earth. As our text says, if we have been raised with Christ, if we are in the kingdom of God, we seek to bring it to bear here. And we do so by considering our desires, by shaping them into the way of Christ, and by striving with all of our passions. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we pray that you would work in each of our hearts. Show us, Father, where our desires have led us astray 
Show us where we seek after our own renown, where we seek after our own ways. And Father, also, in, in that seeking, show us your way. And Father, give us the desire to strive, to pursue godliness with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. Father, would you do this for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.